you can see, I don't take myself very seriously. Um, and thank you also to Francesco for talking uh, about some of what I'm going to talk about. So we may have words later. Um, I need a volunteer first, and I'm going to pick one of you two if I can. Can one of you hold on to this for me? Thank you. Nice. Don't lose it. I'll need it later on. And also a three-year-old gave it to me, so it's um, really important. Um, so this is me, <coughs> putting my best salty pose outside my shop. Uh, I've, as Colin said, been around for about 10, 12 years in the industry, done pretty much everything. But I started as a, a physics student here in Manchester, uh, really enjoyed it, got my degree, realised the life of a research scientist wasn't really for me, it was kind of boring. So I started at Cafe Nero. Since then, I've been a barista, I've been operations manager, area manager. I've worked uh, as a hot chocolate and syrups salesman, which is why I first met Steve Layton. Trying to sell that man. Oh, you do, you love them. Um, trying to sell that man hot chocolate and syrups is a hard gig. <laughs> um, <laughs> and my area was Aberdeen to Jersey, which is quite a big area, as I think you'll agree. Um, moved on from there to uh, uh, the coffee supply side of the business, where I learned engineering and really all the nuts and bolts that go into the back of it. Um, but this is important because it gives context. It gives context to who I am and how I come to decisions I've made based on the industry. And now the bit I didn't think I would do, but I'm doing it anyway, the TED Talk bit. <sighs> the controversial statement. We'll come back to this later, but it's worth thinking about it now. What do you mean by it's pause, it's stagnated? Well, when it came on, when, we, when the first, third wave really burst onto the scene, it was dynamic, it was quick, it was fast. We were seeing new shops, new brewing methods, new farms, everything so quickly. And then that seemed to have just dissipated. Very soon, it became all the same. Homogeneous in what we were doing, in our look. So you go into any new coffee shop, and you're really reading from the same book of design cues, wherever you go. Homogeneous in our offer. What we do is the same. We offer an espresso, we offer a guest, we offer a house. We offer, uh, we offer um, brew coffee, choose your method, because they're all basically providing the same thing. But we're becoming a narrower and narrower and narrower field in what we do. And this is not new. Brian mentioned it in Tampa Chantra in Asia. Um, and we're looking for a fix. It's obvious. You look at the last year or so, we've seen a real uptick in people talking about the fourth wave, a real interest in grinders, a real interest in machines. And we're looking for something to push us forward. And I think we've missed the point slightly on what's pushing us forward. It's my favourite album, probably, of all time. And I've nicked it for the Beatles Boys, I'm sorry. But it's right, ill communication. We don't communicate well enough. We really don't. We let ourselves down in how we communicate for between ourselves and the industry. How we talk about numbers. Numbers have become a really big part of the, uh, our industry recently. How we communicate that to customers and within ourselves and how we talk to customers, the stories we tell. And we'll kind of cover, try and cover all three. What's missing in that is the context. It's going to be the key sort of thing throughout everything. Let's talk about our, our, ourselves first, because we can't talk about the industry, we can't solve that problem. Then we can't solve uh, talking, to the, talking to the customers, we can't solve that problem. So first things first. Cosimo. <coughs> if you don't know Cosimo, he is an industry giant. Um, and this is quite a provocative statement. Are we becoming vacuous? Are we becoming naive? Are we becoming narcissistic in what we do? We're becoming shallow, are we? It's out of context. We don't know what he's talking about. It's just one statement. We compromise too often. I don't know much, but know enough to get away with it. It's a desire to be accepted by our peers. 
the speed of our industry. It's our need to look for always new experiences without giving it time to sink. Our industry is becoming progressively shallower. Context. This is still only a small piece of what he wrote, but it gives some context to what, he's do to what, to what we're talking about. And it's about how there's a learning gap in our industry, how we've expanded very fast, but we have very few people who are really qualified to communicate and pass that, in, that knowledge on. Without that context, we could have read our own message into what he was talking about. With the context, it's informed, it's measured, it's powerful. It's a statement on what we're doing today. Context there is everything. But we rely on that feedback. Without feedback from people like Cosimo, from people like Colin, from people like Dale, from people who come into my shop every day, without that feedback, we can't move forward. And the issue is, we don't give good feedback. I lost count of the amount of times people come into the shop, they have a coffee. How was that? Yeah, it's good. Thanks. Really helped me move on. It's really useful. It's nothing. That's useless. I'd rather you tell me you didn't like it. I'd rather you tell me if there was a problem. I can deal with that. It hurts because I think I'm doing the best I can. But I can work with it. It gives us something to work with. We progress by getting criticism, by getting that feedback. And that's, for me, industry what's broken. We're not giving honest and contextual feedback. Numbers is a big part of this. Another funny slide. It's a bit simplistic to choose science or art, team purge or team prints. And it does simplify these guys, who I respect, and have wide-ranging views. But they are becoming figureheads for two ways of looking at what we do. Um, and that's the God shot, feel, passion, an emotional relationship with coffee and reaching similar goals, the taste we want through numbers, through science, through rational thought, through logic. They're both looking for the same thing. They're both looking for that taste. We're both looking for the best taste we can give, but we're doing it in two very different ways. And we're arguing really over nothing. We're arguing really over an end goal. Um, this is where I need this ball back, my friend, because this is my analogy for this. That's a pretty, whatever you look at, wonderful thing. He threw the ball at me. I instinctively reached out and grabbed that ball. I intercepted it in 4D, in time and space. I can plot the numbers. We can look at that trajectory. We can see how I managed to find it and grab it. That doesn't make it any less beautiful. It gives context. It makes it more beautiful because I understand it. Understanding gives us knowledge, gives us context to what we do. What's that? apart from a very nice baseball, got to do with what we're doing. We've been brewing coffee for years, decades, by touch, by feel, by sight. Look for the flow, look for the drop, look for the how it comes out. But we're just doing that. We're just controlling the numbers. I didn't think about doing it. I didn't compute it and grab it. I knew. We've just been doing that with coffee through experience. We've learned how to do it. The numbers give us context to what we've done. They allow us to understand what's going on. We've been controlling puck density, we've been controlling flow rates, we've been controlling grind size, we've been controlling extraction variables. We've been doing it instinctively. If we have the numbers, we understand that better. It gives us context to what we do. So those guys are looking for the same thing. We just have a forced dichotomy where we argue about reaching the same goal. It's kind of wasteful. 
You know, we're wasting a lot of time doing this. We're not getting to the point where we should be, which is telling stories, communicating with the customers. I really like this talk. It was great. Busan last year, James Hoffman, we're all telling the same stories. And it comes back to the little point earlier. We're homogeneous. We give a coffee. Oh, it's amazing. I'm going to tell you all about it. I'll give you all the information. We're really telling them nothing. We're not really giving them any context in which to understand that. We're just going, hey, it's a great coffee. You'll enjoy it. You'll love it. If the flavor doesn't grab you, well, then you know nothing. It's, it's boring. How are we helping the customer that way? I love my analogies. This is a stretch for me, maybe, but I think you can grab it. So ignore this man. Ignore the batter. He's pointless in all of this. The ball, which is out of shot, will represent our coffee. This is the coffee we're going to serve. We decide how we're going to brew it. The catcher, that represents me, the barista. I call for the, for the ball. I call, I decide what that coffee's going to be. But is it a strike or is it a, um, uh, is it a ball? Is it a miss? Is it a hit? I also have an impact in how I perceive, uh, how I tell you that story. The customer, you're the umpire at the back. I'm blocking your view of the play. It's quite small. It's about that big. And you're trying to hit, I, with the coffee, the space about that big. If I'm in the way, if I decide how you view that coffee, if I frame the story of that pitch, I give you context to understand what you're doing. Now in baseball, that decides whether it's going to be viewed as a strike or a ball, which is an outcome. For coffee, it allows us to inform the customer about how that coffee is going to be, what it is, to expect something different, rather than just try and blend away with taste. We give them the context they can enjoy it better. It's a silly one, but I quite like it. Let's come back to this, just quickly. Have we stagnated? Probably not. Yeah? We stalled, we stopped, we're evolving, we're maturing in the industry. How we deal with this maturation comes from how we communicate. If you communicate properly, with the right feedback, with the right context, we'll become a, we'll become a mature industry. Look at Lawrence, going to talk later, and he's involved in wine. We shouldn't be in imitating sommeliers, that's their context. We shouldn't be imitating bar bartenders, that's their context. We've tried to move too far away from what we knew as an industry, from the second wave, and we've overreacted, and we've become this new way of um, uh, looking at coffee. We need to be brave enough to find our own service. And through context, we can help everyone communicate better. Thank you. Build on that question slightly. So if you look at it the reverse way, what were you hoping was true and has turned out to be true? Like, is there anything that you, you were you had a hunch about. That people would get it. Out of business. Um, that people would get it, that they'd understand what we're doing, uh, and that we'd, because we're strictly multi-roaster, and we rotate every week, uh, and we have an atypical menu that doesn't have drinks on, and I kind of went, I indulged myself and went out there, um, but that people got it, and we do. We're, we make a profit. That's all the business has to do, really. I'm happy, I employ staff, I pay them well, makes a profit. People get it, they come back, it's great. So talk to me about Bristol two and a half years ago. 
like I kind of seen this growing as as really happened there in the two and a half years. And you're talking about you know going forward as as an industry. I think when we talk about third wave, a lot of it kind of tends to focus on London. It's a very London centric industry we have in the UK. But I think if we're talking about progress, somewhere like Bristol has progressed more in the last two years than it did for anything before that. Um, who, uh, who, we should obviously come see you, but who else is doing a great job in, in that region? So I'm thinking Bristol, Cardiff, that kind of whole part you can get to there. It has, it has really um, accelerated very quickly. It took a long time to reach. Um, it was almost as if um, what was popular, um, spread out of London, came to Birmingham, Manchester, Newcastle, Leeds, slightly larger cities. We're a rich city, but we're not a very big city. It took a long time to get here, and suddenly, bam, we have three or four places. So we have a guy uh, who runs a shop that um, has swings in it, and is based around the, uh, the, the, the Greek concept of sitting down and playing games where you have a coffee, but serving sort of speciality rate coffee. It's quite fun. If you want to have espresso on a swing, um, playground is your place to go. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> some friends of mine have a place around the, just around the corner from me, actually, called Small Street, and that's a more typical style shop, but it's just really, really small, really lovely, really friendly. It's based, yeah, it looks like it could be from Melbourne, from New York, from London. It just fits that space perfectly. Um, and then we have uh, a couple of the new rave of brunch places, which are also worth checking out, um, but a plethora of local roasters, which is, I, ha I think, helping push everything forward. So it's how, been big, how big of a city is Bristol? Uh, about 400,000. Okay. Yeah, so it's, it's, it covers a relatively large area. That's a big city. Um, well. it, covers a larger, it covers a relatively large area, yeah. but the den population density isn't that high. Okay. So you think about the really big cities, you can open anywhere and the population density is going to allow you to be successful. It's just going to happen. So here's one, okay? So I meet a lot of people, okay, in, in Ireland and in the UK and in Australia and in Japan, and they say, well, you know, we're not really in a major capital city. You know, our customers wouldn't get that. Like, what's your perspective on that? I, I think you have to give people a little more credit. And also, they're probably not willing to give, to put the effort in to give the context. Do you think you have it harder than somebody in London has it? No, I have it easier. Because I don't have as many people banging down my door. I have the freedom, in some ways, to indulge in this. This probably wouldn't work in London. I'd have to be, I don't do food. I do pastries and cakes, and I do four coffees at Change Weekly. Oh, we, we have a customer in, everyone here been to Ennis? Nope. <laughs> so Ennis, Tumbleweeds. Ennis is about 10,000 people, I'd say, mm -hmm. on the west coast of Ireland. Yeah. It's, it's away from away, you've been there. So this guy is just like, he had a great shop above what can, which looks, it looks like a shop that sells doilies and crystal. Right. Sounds uh, like and fun. And uh, clothes for, for older women. And then he had a shop above that. And now he, it's gotten so busy, he had to move on to the main street. It was like 60, 80 kilos a week. Like, incredible quality in the middle of nowhere, yeah. essentially. And like, I think, t to my mind, I've always thought that, you know, especially if it's good, people will buy it. Yeah, if, if it's good and you present it. it right, people will buy it. They'll enjoy it. And if they don't enjoy it, they'll find somewhere else. But that's okay. We're a big industry. We have lots of people and lots of people making coffee for lots of people who are drinking coffee. I have a Starbucks... 50 miles, 50, 50 yards around the corner. I have another two coffee shops within a minute's walk. That's okay. We're all open and people find the right spot for them. I've, I found a very small niche mm. um, and it's kind of working at the moment. I'll never 
open 10 of them because I'll never be busy enough to open 10 of them. Yeah. But that's not the point. So what is next for you then? Uh, we're actually gonna expand the shop. <laughs> 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 well, yeah, I, it was very small. It's very small, it's owned by the church uh, and um, there isn't much space in there. So when we're full, we are really full. Uh, so we need more space. So we'll probably look at expanding the shop where we are and stay in one place rather than try and find a bigger space which costs more money, which means changing the model. And the model's still working and I enjoy the model. So while it's, it's still working and I enjoy it, I don't see the need to change it. I kind of want to go back to the thing about the wouldn't work in London. Um, and I, I tend to agree. I think just because of the amount of competition and the, also the, the, the lack of loyalty in a lot of the London coffee shops, I think there is, it's very easy to go from shop to shop, uh, much, much easier. If you were to present it in London, what do you think you'd have to change? What are the things you'd have to do differently? Well, I think, yeah, I don't think it's not that it wouldn't work. It would be much harder work. Um, I'd have to do food. And it's just, that's just a purely economic decision, a financial decision. I, I pay £7,000 a year rent. And that's VAT free because it's owned by the church. Um, that gives me the freedom to be a little silly in what I do and go top end. Double, triple that, more in London? Okay. No way, I'd have to be doing food. You could do the same offer in coffee perhaps, um, and you would definitely lose a lot of customers by people coming in turning away out the door, that's fine. Um, but you'd have to expand your food offer, just numbers. The numbers game would stack up otherwise, yeah. it, you would just close down. It's always that frustrating thing about, like, because I get people coming to me and saying, will you help me with my business plan? I'm like, well, where's the shop going to be? And I say, oh, I don't know yet. I'm like, I'm useless. Yeah, like, exactly. Like, um, until you know where it's going to be. Location and site is everything, and they yeah. will dictate what you can and can't do. Yeah. yeah it's an interesting, in, interesting problem I come across all the time with people asking the same advice from me. It's like, where, what should I do? Where should I open? Well, find the right site first. Yeah, we, had a, we had a very good shop. Actually, one of your customers. Um, didn't you do well? Um, who opened up in Bristol, excellent shop, doing excellent work. They just picked the wrong site. And it didn't work. It, people didn't come in. People wouldn't travel just that little bit out of the distance to go in. So it was a shame. Distance and a hill didn't help, did it? No, it didn't. Bristol definitely has the hills. Um, I want to kind of uh, question why you sleep around. So to speak. Yeah. So to speak, as a, like the multi-roaster offering, I find it, I mean, I've, I've just come back, I was in New York last weekend, and I didn't see a single place that wasn't multi-roaster in New York. And I went to eight shops, and they were all taking coffee from Europe, uh, from different roasters in the US. Um, and it was, you know, th I was asking the same question then, why are you doing it? They said, well, it just works. It just kind of fits what we want to do, and we don't want to get tied down. What are the pluses and minuses of being multi-roaster? Um, the minuses are support. Um, my context and my history allowed me to, I repair my own machine. I was one of the first guys to engineer a Strada in the country. I have a Strada. I'm pretty handy at keeping it going, which is nice. So I don't need to rely on a coffee company for support, because that's what I used to do when I worked for the coffee company. Half of my job was keeping people around and giving them training. So I, I didn't need to rely on that. Um, I wonder if they're being honest with you by saying it's, oh, it just works for us, it's easy. Um, it's a niche. It's a marketing decision, you know. They are in, in New York, there's a, a ton of coffee com places everywhere you look. By being multi-roaster, you're a little bit different. You attract a different market. It's also fun for me. 
I really enjoyed it. I didn't want to open up another place that is a house with a guest because the guy's 100 yards away a house with a guest. And I don't have that footfall to bring us into both of us. So we need to do something a little different. Um, it's just it stands out a little more, I think, when there's one of you in the city. Um, when you're in New York, yeah, there's the, the people doing the same thing are bigger. So there are more people who are thinking, well, we'll try something a little different. It just works for them is probably just a way of saying it, we decided it was a marketing choice to be a little bit niche, and it's worked, which is fine. So, so in, how, in a year, how many different roasters would you use? Our current count total is 27. Wow. In a year. Is it just UK or? No, no, no. Um, we've bought from 49th Parallel, from George Howell uh, in the US. My aim is to buy from somewhere in Australia and Asia at some point, but they're much bigger logistical issues, issues to, to cross. Uh, just the cost of shipping in. We regularly buy off uh, three or four roasters in Sweden, uh, a couple in Germany, uh, Belleville in France, Gardelli in Italy, and about a core rotation of, say, 12 in the UK that we go back to really yeah. regularly. And I dip in and out of that. And I've lost some roasters along the way when, we, when we've evolved and maybe the coffee just, their coffee just isn't working for us as well. So that's, a, comes that's back. a polite way of addressing the, my next question. Is like, what if you buy coffee from a roaster and it turns up and you don't like it? Uh, if it's really, really bad, we send it back. Some of the biggest, some of the biggest roasting names in the country I've sent coffee back to because it just didn't work. And that led to an explanation of why doesn't it work? And it came down back to this water issue with one of the original ones. Um, in fact, it was a coffee that sparked a lot of the whole water thing that mattered because we had the same coffee at the same time. And it was just roasted in QC'd for water that was very difficult to using. And we couldn't. Skin of the Bristol be damned. I'm blatantly not bad at this because I run a successful shop. But we couldn't make it palatable. Just couldn't do it. So we had to pull it. That's very, 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 very rare, though. Very yeah. rare. Um, on the most of the time, if I'm not enjoying it, I'll give feedback. If I feel that they're open to that feedback, we'll carry on working with them. I've had a few people say, nah, it's fine. Everyone else is doing it. It's OK. I'm like, well, again, I'm not bad at this, and it's really not OK. If you're not willing to have that conversation, then I'm not willing to work with you, which seems to be a decent way of doing it. Yeah. I don't think that's any different to conversations if you have something that is a permanent either, though. Yeah. You know, you've got to have that relationship there for sure. The, the one interesting point I took away from New York was out of the eight shops I went into that were all doing this uh, multi-roaster, I had heart in five of them, so uh, <laughs> it really wasn't that multi-roaster at all. Um, I think that's a fantastic talk. I, t I, I, yeah, like, I agree with like, pretty much everything you've said in there. I thought it was... Uh, yeah, very thought-provoking as well. Please, huge round of applause for Matt North. <laughs>